This is Create the Next from Pro CFO Partners, where every week we explore strategies and ideas for financial management and growth to help today's businesses put their financial picture in context. Welcome back to Create the Next. I'm Chris Bentliff, and I'm back with our good friend Thomas McNiff uh, from Pro CFO Partners. And Tom, it's great to see you again. Uh, as we are looking at you, we can see you've got a keyboard there behind you, and you were just showing me some sweet guitars. I know that you've got um, a pretty broad background in the music industry, and I have so many questions about so much of that. As as you and I have talked about, we're both musicians, and so we've got a kind of a kindred spirit there. Let's start with... Wait, Chris, calling me a musician is a compliment, and I thank you, because I don't call myself a musician. But you are... I'm a a student. A a musical mind, a musical mind, a student presently, but you've spent a lot of time on the business end. Of the music yes, industry. So I let's have. start there. Uh, I know some of the things, but our audience doesn't. What have you, um, tell us a little bit, kind of the Cliff Notes version of your professional background in the music industry and the things that you were doing there. So um, it was always a dream of mine to work in the music industry, and I got incredibly lucky. And I got into an independent record label that um, basically signed young rock bands in New York City. And I was in charge of the financial and IT departments. So I oversaw all the accounting and and all the IT. And um, I had um, a staff of about 12 people. (laughs) And yeah, it was, it was, our department was large because accounting in the music industry is a little complex. And it's not just general ledger. The, the, the element that's different with the music industry and in particular a record company is the fact that you need a royalty staff because royalty payments to your artists are critical. That's the life, the artists are the lifeblood and the revenue generators for the business. So you have to have people dedicated to generating the royalties. It's incredibly important. And I was in this um, company for about five years And then I moved on to a music publishing company, which is a little different than a a record company. A publishing company represents the songwriters, not the bands. It's the writers within the bands. So a good example of what I mean, um, the royalties for, say, a band like the Beatles. McCartney and Lennon were credited with about 90% of the songs. Um, So they would get 90% of the publishing royalties and George Harrison would get ten, would get uh, five, and Ringo Starr would get five, depending on assuming they had one one song each, and that's the way the splits went. So I was um, the controller of a music publishing company, also located in New York City. Now this is fascinating to me, and, and maybe some of our listeners don't necessarily know when you hear a song on the radio, for instance. There, it is. It's so complex, and there's a, a recording sort of copyright, and then there's a publishing, and everybody gets a little piece, and then maybe the producer uh, got a few points, so they might get a little percentage, and it can get really complex. Did you find uh, in your time? Because um, I want to get to sort of how things have changed dramatically as the distribution models have changed. But did you find in your time that that complexity? started to make a sort of sense or was it always as you have this staff of 12 and you were just talking about how the royalty structure can be complex is it sort of always an art form that you're constantly trying to sort of because every situation is so nuanced and different and does that require you to have like a, a new sort of approach or perspective almost with every single artist or situation or can you sort of say eh, these things are the same and these little things are small adjustments 
generally, from a financial perspective, it was the same. However, different ba- all the bands had different contracts. Mm-hmm. And there are nuances within those contracts that you had to know. A good example is back in the day, a video. If, if, if a band shot a video, the record company would pay for that. That's called a recoupable charge. Now, if, if for some reason a band was able to get that excluded from their contract, you can't recoup any video charges against that band's royalties. But most, but most of the time, those are recoupable charges. And what I mean by that is when bands sign on, they get an advance. They could get 500000 or $20 million. It depends on what the record company, how the record company thinks the band is going to do. And that's more or less like being on an being on account. Yeah, the band, you get all that money, but now you got to record and now you have to write hits. And once that music gets released, any of the royalties uh, that are generated go against that unrecouped balance. So until, say a band gets a million dollars, until that million dollars is recouped, the band gets nothing because what they're doing is basically paying back the record company for the advance so something like a video that could be construed as being a recoupable charge so the nuance the real complex nuance it's very unique to this industry one of them is tracking recoupable charges you have to make sure that you're putting those charges against the band properly per the contract so the contracts are always critical and once you set it up once then you have it but you have to be very careful if a, if a company is reactivating a lot of new bands you have to be sure that you're picking up all those charges properly again i don't know that the common listener knows that you know you might have this fantasy idea of a rock star that's you know living in this huge mansion and has all this stuff but Tom, as you're pointing out, so much of what is required for them to do their business, an artist, a band, for them to create their product, they almost go in debt in order to do that. And then they have to repay that debt to their employer, if you will, uh, in order to make that happen. And it's a really interesting uh, scenario. What, how, did, um, how did that shape your relationship then with the artists and with uh, the record label itself? Because they kind of have some mutually exclusive sort of perspectives. They, they want the same things, but it, sometimes they want different things. And I know that in time you got into the artist relationship. What, how did that feed? How did, how did knowing so much about the financial aspect, I don't know, uh, nurture your, your relationship making with the artist and on the other artist side. There is a basic suspicion of the businessmen and record companies when it comes to the artist. And that's universal. You can watch any documentary about a band. You always see the same thing. There's always suspicion that they're screwing the artist. Um, I can't speak to a lot of the other larger companies, but I can speak about the one I was in or the two that I was in. We never had, we never did anything like that. We were very, very honest with our artists. And what I tried to do was to never wear a suit to the office. Because if a band showed up and I had a suit on, I was a distant businessman. So this is about as much as good as dressed as I got, you know, and and T-shirts, concert T-shirts. I also always went to the concerts as the bands toured. When they would come through New York, I always liked to go 
and see the band and meet with them afterwards and see them. The reason is I wanted to always have a relationship with those guys. And I wanted them to know that we're not trying to pull the wool over their eyes. And the problem is a lot of the musicians are young musicians. They, they don't understand the complexities of how this works. Most don't. And that was the problem. And that's where the suspicion generates because their managers and a lot of times don't explain it to them. And a lot of times the artists don't want to know. They just don't want to know. They're creative people. They, you know, they're cut. They're cut. I always, I always describe it as this. Since I'm a finance person, that's why I call myself a student, not really a musician. I'm a, I'm a finance person. I see things in black and white. Mm. Artists don't see things in black and white. Artists see things in colors. They could pick up on things that I can't. Conversely, they're not as precise as I am because I see things in black and white. And that was the difference. And it's the convergence of those two worlds bringing them together. And that relationship that made it complex. So I always, always tried to, to talk to the bands as much as I could. I thought it was important as the money guy. Create the Next is brought to you by Pro CFO Partners, who believe every business deserves to work with an expert CFO to guide its success. Pro CFO Partners are expert financial officers networked across industries, verticals, specializations, and situations. Fulfilling the role of a part-time CFO with all-time commitment, Pro CFO Partners utilizes the innovative and exclusive FGC financial flywheel as a framework that creates momentum to drive your financial functions for sustainable success. Visit ProCFOPartners.com to explore how we can implement a systematic and scalable financial system to help you achieve your goal. ProCFOPartners.com What a great illustration of, of building trust. And, and frankly, there's an easy correlation uh, to the startup founder who, you know, the, a, a person is in a band because they have a talent or because they have uh, an expression they want to make, or they've got a story they want to tell. And they're not interested necessarily in the nuts and bolts and in the black and white and in the dollars and cents, but they also don't want to make, you know, they don't want to get screwed on that stuff. And the startup is energized by different things. And the finance person is the one who needs to come in and sort of say, great, let's, let's execute your vision within sort of these limits or these bounds so that we can, achieve these goals. And it's when those two strengths can come together and not be in, uh, you know, in friction, but in, uh, I was just going to say in tune, uh, that, that that relationship works. Do you agree? Do you find that the best sort of uh, healthiest artist relationships come when there's a mutual trust uh, around the different skill sets that everybody has? I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, again, there's a basic mistrust and, and I was always trying to squelch that. I, I really thought it was important and, and their opinions mattered to me. Thus, that's why you see a keyboard in back of me. I'm learning how to play the keyboard. It's something I always wanted to do. And that was a lot of discussions with a lot of different musicians because I wanted to play the guitar and everyone would tell me, start with the piano, read music, and then once you do that, you can branch off into other instruments. And that was, that was what the advice I got from so many. Um, and again, it was a trust thing. I stink, but I, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, things have changed so dramatically in the last even five years. But um, as streaming has changed 
the distribution model. It used to be the record company was really in charge of getting this music out to listeners and how they wanted to do it and and who was going to get it done. But also uh, the the artist or the the producer of the product, if you will, has so much uh, different power to their own exposure. Um, they're not they're not beholden to anybody to get them in a magazine or to get them in an interview because they can start their own YouTube channel or they can you know there's so many different ways. How do you think some of those huge dynamic uh, changes are impacting the business of of not just music but of creative distribution? I think with all the channels that musicians have to, at their fingertips now they could become much more advanced on the business side and also be able to get their name out there. But at the end of the day, the power of a major record label is something you, if you have a chance to sign, it's, it's worth it. And only because of the infrastructure that that's then behind you. Mm. So I think that it actually makes it a little easier on the A&R departments of the record companies to be able to find the right talent. Because there's so many different ways you can be exposed to a band. It's not just going to a club. That In the old days, how would you find a new band? If you were an A&R person for, for one of the major labels, how would you find somebody? You'd have to go to a, a club. I mean, you know, here in New York, I mean, years ago, you'd go down to CBGB's and, or all those clubs down, downtown. And now you can go on YouTube, like you said. You could go, there's so many different ways that you can discover music. But at the end of the day, as, an, as far as an artist goes, they're better off signing a deal with a publishing company for their songwriting and bringing up, getting aboard a record company, in my opinion, because you have the power of the company. You have that support, that network of, of uh, experts around you who can help you navigate that stuff. What... Uh... What are you taking from all of your years in the music industry into now as you're helping other companies outside of that industry? What are there, are there certain, you know, I imagine it's kind of just runs through the fabric of you now, but what are there certain things that you just kind of bring to work with you every day or your perspective is a certain kind of way or how does it shape who you are today professionally? Oh, it's helped me tremendously because, you know, in my years of working, I've developed this toolkit of skills and I run into people who don't have any of those skills. They don't have any of the financial stuff that I have. And it gives me the opportunity, what the music industry has showed me is it gives me the ability to teach people and I'm much more patient. I, I'm not pulling myself back and saying, Oh, I can't believe you don't know this. It's they don't know that because they're creative. And it's given me the ability to be more helpful across a broad range of industries right now and help, help people uh, develop their businesses. And so it's been, for me, it's been tremendous. If I worked in a bank or a big accounting firm my whole career, that's a lot different than what I was exposed to. At the end of the day, all businesses are trying to make money. It doesn't matter how you make the money. It's all legal. It's how you make money. And if it's making money through trading uh, Bitcoin or making money through releasing great music or playing shortstop for the Mets. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's about making money and creative, very creative people can make a lot of money if they're talented and get the breaks that they need. You have to be lucky also, right place, right time. 
one of the things that I love about talking with you, Tom, is um, it really speaks to the value of, we talk a lot about at ProSafe Partners, sort of this, we've got this expansive network of experts who've got all this different experience and you're, you're really representative of that. I mean, you just have, there's so much that goes into um, being a part of the machinery of creativity and of the business of creativity. And um, there's just so much that you have to offer in that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm thoughtful and I'm grateful that you're uh, sharing that expertise with your clients today and with all of us uh, here in this podcast. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate you saying that. I, I can't wait to have you back. Uh, I think you and I could nerd out every every week if we wanted. That'd be a lot of fun. But let's uh, let's come back again and talk more music business soon. Yeah, let's have a part two. I, absolutely, I could keep you on the on the Zoom for three hours if you want. We're gonna have a long extended like part one of six, and it's gonna be beautiful. We're gonna kill your audience if we keep doing that, though. <laughs> Tom McNiff from Prozio for Partners. Thank you, sir. It's so good to see you again. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to our subscribers. Consider becoming one today. Visit ProCFOPartners.com and learn how we can help you build a framework for financial management and growth.